Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. This is episode 48, Back in Time, West Coast Grand National Racing. I've been doing a little reflecting here as of late. Had some time to relax and think about things and doing some reflecting on my past. And I think that happens when you get older. Uh, you happen to start thinking more uh, about you know, your family and where things have been, where you've been, uh, the path that you've taken, and kind of just looking back. And I've had opportunities here as of late to sit down and have some long talks and discussions with my Uncle Jerry and just kind of, you know, looking back and talking about my father and what uh, Cope Brothers Racing Engines did with my Uncle Jerry and and now my brother and Dan Daly running it out there. And so just, I wanted to do a little bit of, you know, talking about back in time of the West Coast Grand National Racing, because it's a very, I think, special part of my life and something that really was the springboard to having a, a platform for myself to showcase my potential as a race car driver. and you know, along the way, you know, you really, you know, you don't ever really do anything alone, obviously, but there's a lot of people that you come in contact with and that in some way, shape or form have made an impression upon you and have touched you in some ways to the point that you either wanted to emulate them, you wanted to be as good as them, or you wanted to pick things about them that they did or you liked and then, you know, try to put together, you know, what it was going to take to to make it to the highest echelon of NASCAR Winston Cup racing. At that time it was called Grand National Racing. And there was a West Coast Grand National, which was the West Coast series that ran on its own. And then they would run in conjunction with the Winston Cup Series and the Winston Cup Grand National Series when they would come out to the West Coast to run Riverside. And we had some very unique race car drivers on the West Coast that, you know, really had uh, enormous ability and really had not a lot of, you know, funding or not a lot of opportunities maybe or they had businesses and they really did it for fun and for enjoyment but were very serious about what they did and how they went about it and i don't really know because i you know i never had the discussions with them about you know if they really had aspirations to do what i did and that was to go back east and try to make it uh you know there and and try to become in a in a position to make a living doing it and but I did come in contact with some very, you know, unique people and race car drivers that made impressions upon me. 
and people that I had to race against and learn from. And I think like anything, you have people, you have drivers, you have outside influences that really do shape things for you. And I honestly believe that, you know, it's one of those things where you, you know, you have all these people and whatever happens along the way, you know, it's, it really does help shape the things that, you know, you really need to overcome or things you need to enhance or find a way to stack yourself up against uh, people that are very, very talented. And you have to find a way to step up your game. You have to be able to rise to, you know, drawing from within yourself your ability or, you know, trying to draw out more ability and really kind of push yourselves to limits. And it started back in the the West Coast. There was a lot of drivers, you know, all the way from, you know, Canada, a lot of great drivers uh, up in the uh, in Victoria, uh, British Columbia area. And then right there in the Washington Pacific Northwest, down to Portland, and then on into Oregon and Southern California. So the entire West Coast was represented by some very talented racing drivers back then. And if you look at, there's various series, obviously, that really, you know, kind of separated, you know, and divisionalized uh, drivers themselves. But I remember when I first really was getting into racing, you know, I'd been playing baseball, but you know, my father was doing engines. My my father and my uncle Jerry were doing engines for uh, some West Coast Grand National race teams, and of course, some late model sportsman uh, teams. But on the West Coast Grand National side, they had been doing engines for the Lakes Drywall Special. Jerry Craker was a prominent uh, uh, businessman out of uh, Lakewood area, and we were doing engines for them and they had a driver, Chuck Bowen, who you obviously have known, you know, heard the name Chuck Bowen because he, he made it to the cup, uh, the Bush series uh, level. And then obviously to the cup series level as well. And was a very proficient race car driver. And, uh, uh Jim was his, his, uh, his brother. And I raced against Jim and his dad, uh, you know, was uh, a racer himself. So it was a family affair, but I know that, you know, we were doing engines at that time. This was in the seventies. And I was going to some races and I was watching what my dad was doing. And, and I was, you know, obviously intrigued by it, but still trying to play baseball and was going to college. And so it was a more of a sporadic thing at that point. But, you know, late in uh, the 70s, you know, there was there were some drivers there that I think were making an impact. And the one guy that maybe has been forgotten, you know, there's been, obviously everybody does not, you know, get forgotten totally. But uh, I think, you know, somebody that, if you really look back at somebody that I thought had enormous talent, there was a guy named Roy Smith. He was from Victoria, British Columbia. Roy was, you know, a, a super modified driver from up around, you know, the Victoria, British Columbia area and raced up there and then came uh, south down to uh, to Washington, ran stock cars. And this guy was uh, an amazing talent. You know, just a little quirky, you know, really, you know, I have that Canadian accent, you know, they're all Canadians, they like to party and he's, you know, he's just a, kind of a wild child. Uh, but, you know, him and his wife and uh, they were very, very nice people. And uh, just this guy that, you know, I just, I really admired the way he drove a race car. He was uh, very aggressive. He could manipulate a race car like nobody's business. 
And the West Coast Grand National at that time, you know, was really a great feeder system for the Cup Series. And this was where a lot of the drivers could go and run against the Cup drivers when they came out uh, for the West Coast Swing uh, to Riverside, which typically would be at the end of the year. And they also were running Ontario Motor Speedway in the beginning, in the in the 70s. And, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where I was involved, uh, I was getting involved more because I'd gotten hurt playing baseball. And I was very, you know, in tune to what was going on uh, with at, at that time because racing was starting to become a part of my life. And I traveled with a guy named Bill Schmidt. And I'll go into that later, but that was, uh, you know, a great opportunity for me that would actually, you know, pay a great dividends and would, you know, be a, uh, a good relationship for me. And I, in 1979, I carried tires for Bill Schmidt at Ontario Motor Speedway. And this was a, a West Coast, uh, you know, a race at Ontario, which was a cup race. And through that, you know, it's kind of like what was kind of like my introduction into motorsports. And I was coming home, and that's when 1980, when I really started in 1979, we were driving a car, my brother and I, and we were running the Great Ghost at Spanaway Speedway. And so we were getting a lot of help from people around there, guys that had, you know, been local drivers like Don Hall and Jackie Cooper and um, Steve Hemholz, whose car we ended up having first. And so a lot of, you know, support locally, which helped us kind of get us off and running. But at that time, Roy Smith was driving for aircraft standards out of Seattle on Bob Beetle. And Bob and John Beetle were uh, businessmen out of uh, the Seattle area, and they had promoted uh, Western uh, the, uh, the racetrack at Monroe and Evergreen Speedway in Monroe. So they've been promoting that. And, you know, Bob owned the car, the car. And, you know, Roy Smith, we were doing engines uh, through Koch Brothers. So this was like 1980. And that's when I really started my, my career uh, in a late model sportsman car. And here it was, I was, you know, getting opportunities to pay a great deal of attention to what was going on uh, in the, uh, in the West Coast Grand National Series and the Winston Cup Series, because through this, you know, relationship that my father had with Bob Beetle and those guys, I was able to, you know, get an opportunity to go to some races. And I would go to the cup race and then we would leave the cup race and we would drive across to uh, Palm Springs and we would stay in Palm Springs and then we would finish and, and fix the car and finish it and prep it for Phoenix. And then we would drive to Phoenix and then race the, uh, the, the race there in Phoenix uh, after the uh, cup race, which was the year ending career, uh, race. So. It was just a, a fun time. Uh, I learned about being on the road and, you know, racing out of the, out of the, you know, the back of a hotel parking lot or wherever you could, or the side street of where we were staying. And, and I loved that nomadic lifestyle. And, you know, I just relished the opportunities that I had, but I relished the time that I got to spend with Roy Smith and watching him drive a race car and his approach to doing it. I mean, totally committed. This guy loved it. Uh, you know, it was the air that he breathed. And this guy ends up winning 
the West Coast Grand National Championship four years, 80, 81, 82, and then again in 88. And, you know, I mean, he, back in 87, 89, I think he was third, you know, through, through all those years. So the guy was just phenomenal. But some of the key things about Roy was, you know, he went back east. Dick Midgley, who was a, a businessman out of, I, I think, in the marine world, uh, you know, in the boating and, and marine world in Victoria, British Columbia. And Dick was, a you know, a, a staunch provider of racing equipment and, and you know, obviously with Roy's talent, uh, they ended up taking a car to Daytona several times. And it was you know, a couple, one time, I think it was even funded by the uh, the, the city and you know, the fans of uh, Victoria, British Columbia. But they went to Daytona, I, I think in 76, and I think he finished 22nd. And then in 79, um, I think it was, he finished 20th. And uh, 82, he went back and finished 10th. So here's a guy that, in modest equipment. And so this was, you know, in, in, you know, pretty significant times of NASCAR's history in the Cup Series. And Winston, you know, sponsoring and being a part of it. And he goes and finishes 10th at Daytona. You know, and I I know the kind of equipment he was in and, and what kind of operation they would take back there. And the guy just, was able to really take something and carry it on his back. And, you know, he was, he was a, a, a dynamic road racer. This guy, I mean, he, he, he took it to Riverside and he would, you know, he'd have some great runs there. And I remember the crew chief that he had was Russell Lejeune. And Russell was this guy that I, I really admired. He's, I didn't really, you know, talk to Russell a lot, but when we did talk, I, you know, I got to listen to him a lot. Very talented guy. And, you know, it was kind of the backbone of the organization there with, with Roy and, uh, and Bob Beetle and that whole deal. And they were very, very successful and really was a pleasure to watch, uh, what they did. And, you know, Roy, you know, kind of followed in his brother's footsteps out, and then he did have a son, Gary, and Gary was a very proficient race car driver in his own right. Um, and so, you know, it was just in their genes. I mean, this guy just, you know, he was one of a kind. And honestly, same thing with, you know, with any opportunities and, you know, in a position to to have desire to go back east would have probably found a way to, uh, to make something happen. He just was... Uh, you know, just an incredible guy. And, uh, I think he, he only ran, I think with, you know, a limited schedule, obviously going back East and then running the West coast. Stuff, I think he ran like 26 cup races, uh, between like 75 and 89. And his best cup finish was a six at Riverside in 82. So just goes to show you that, um, you know, against the best in the world, this guy was very capable. And I just, I wanted to take some time and, in this podcast to reflect a little bit, you know, we get caught up on a lot of things about current racing and some technical things. And I've been talking about chronicalizing my life and my father's and just trying to get a lot of things about, you know, you know, about work ethic and, and going on. But, you know, you really, I really wanted to touch bases about the West coast grand national uh, drivers and the series itself, because it really did, uh, do a lot for um the sport and really was a stepping stone for a number of people and you know 
early days, I think it was Ray Elder was probably the only one really doing anything at that point, you know, and uh, a lot of the guys just didn't have the means to or desire to travel. And I think, you know, I was really one of the first ones to really leave there and want and have a desire and be determined enough to come back east. But certainly there's guys out there that had the ability and it proved that out, you know, as years to come. But I just, I really wanted to, you know, to start with some things there that, uh, and set a precedent for some great drivers that would pull a, a multitude of championships together. And they needed to be, I think, spoken to about. And I wanted to, you know, just kind of touch bases about them. And, you know, when I was running the Winston West series, you know, obviously, you know, I came in um, around, I think it was about 82 um, or 83. Uh, and that's when I started running some West Coast. I ran my first cup race in 82 at Riverside and then, you know, started running the late model sportsman deal. And then I don't think I really started the actual uh, West Coast uh, Grand National thing until about 84 with George Jefferson and then 85 and then on from there. But within that time period, you know, I was, uh, you know, there was a guy that was pretty dominant in his own right at that time that I kind of came on the scene. And his name was Jim Robinson. And he was from Selmar, California, North Hollywood area. He had a auto shop, you know, business in North Hollywood. And Jim was from New Mexico, but, you know, had been racing in, in Southern California. And, you know, he was very proficient. And I don't know if a lot of people, you know, have recalled much about what Jim had did or, or not, but, um, I was, you know, I, I really liked Jim. He was a very nice man and he was a hardcore racer and he had an enormous talent in a race car and he was very passionate about it and driven and, you know, he worked to race and, you know, in I guess it, was, it really came to light because, you know, what he did, you know, he won the West Coast uh, Grand National Championship in 83, 84, and 85. So pretty astounding three years in a row of dominance, you know, and being able to be that proficient. And, you know, the year that I ran for Rookie of the Year, which was 84, I was racing head-to-head -head with Jim Robinson for the championship. and the rookie year title i ended up you know going to uh riverside and leaving with the po with the um, points lead at riverside and then having to go to the west coast grand national race at phoenix and that's where you know i'd spoken about you know having the next weekend going there and as it would be tim richmond was driving my car my backup car there and i was driving my primary car and i was fast and I was in a position to win the championship and the rookie of the year uh, title, which had never been done in the 31-year history to that point. And I was running second, and I was running down Bill Schmidt, who was leading it. And I was very close to getting him uh, when I started smoking, and the oil pan had developed a crack. And, you know, I, they black flagged me, and I had to come into the pits. And Tim Richmond, had actually broken a valve spring or a rocker arm or something. And I remember sitting there, we were trying to fix the oil pan, trying to get myself back out there so I could have a shot to re to still win the title. 
and he's standing in front of me who this is an icon right i mean he's uh you know a dynamic race car driver in the cup series and he's standing there in front of me and i remember him just looking at me and you know putting both hands up like what do you do right and uh, i'll never forget that moment but you know we went back out and ended up trying to finish the race and jim robinson uh managed i think he finished second but he finished well enough to actually beat me by four points so i ended up winning rookie of the year but i missed the championship by four points so jim won it again and uh it was a very disappointing moment you know but still you know looking back i was you know pretty proud of what we had done and the races that we had won in a very short amount of time and me driving a race car but jim robinson was um, a very tough competitor and sometimes people get lost in the you know in the years that go by and you know there's not a lot of recollection about them and sometimes you know they go away and nobody knows why but jim's uh, particular situation was one of of uh i guess i don't know how you say it, it was it was really a sad uh thing that happened um you know with with jim um but you know he uh ended up still continued to race i had left and gone on and you know he was still racing and and uh being very successful and you know this guy here i mean he he had debuted in like 1979 in the cup series at riverside uh, he had 14 wins in the cup in the in the west coast grand national series and you know he was you know, just uh, one of those guys that, you know, had, had done a lot already. And he was at the Copper World Classic in Phoenix, which, you know, that was a big race on the West Coast back then. And, you know, everybody would run there. And and Jim was uh, at one of those races there. And, you know, it was, uh, it was, a, I don't know, it was, it was in February of uh, 88. And I was running my first full season in the Cup Series in 1988 with Pure Later. And Jim was running the Copper World Classic and was leading the race. And, you know, somebody got the outside of him there and, and basically they got hooked and it turned him uh, off a of turn two there. And at that time, the wall kind of like went way out on the exit there because they had an entrance there uh, that you could come on the racetrack on. and. So when he got turned hooked there, you know, the car spun around and driver's side, it hit, and it had a long way to go when it uh, hit that, that fence, hit that, you know, the concrete barrier. And it really just, I mean, it was a major impact, one that, you know, hurt him pretty severely. And he had a head injury and, you know, broke his jaw and I think his eye socket and his nose and, his, you know, so he, he had a multitude of injuries, but he, you know, he basically has succumbed to, having a head injury and this would end his career and he pretty much was in a coma for a long period of time and then was in the hospital for uh, you know another eight years after that uh but unfortunately um you know he died in 1995 and that was um uh, you know where it ended for him but you know he had uh, two daughters brenna and glenn i remember and they you know were at all his races and very supportive and it was a family affair and he loved racing and you know he he was there with his daughters and you know he just relished that type of racing and, I, and they all did they were a racing family and i remember it making an impression on me that uh you know how much it meant for them to 
to do that every, you know, every opportunity. And I just had a, I just had an enormous amount of respect for Jim Robinson. And, you know, it was sad for, you know, me to uh, hear uh, what had transpired uh, when I had got to the cup series. Uh, And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a tough thing to, you know, to know and um, hear about. But the other gentleman that I really wanted to bring light to was another West Coast Grand National standout. And you remember when I had said that I had carried tires for Bill Schmidt at Ontario Motor Speedway in 79? That was really the beginning of my apprenticeship. And he gave me that opportunity to go do that. And, uh, you know, his, he had sons, and, you know, I think it's Jim and Steve and Kenny, I, I, you know, they were a family affair again, all worked on the logging and, you know, uh, operation. Um, and, you know, but they were diehard racers. And I mean, they loved racing and very passionate about it. And his wife, Sylvia, just a very nice lady and always treated me uh, very well. And I truly respected, you know, that whole family. And, you know, um, you know, I think Bill and, and Sylvia, they were, they were, you know, relatively you know, wealthy people. They had, you know, good businesses and they, you know, he had done a lot in the community and, you know, and built a number of businesses. So he was very talented guy all the way around, but loved racing and had a lot of major sponsors at that time. He had old Milwaukee and he had Mountain Dew. And so he was connected pretty well. And he was very, you know, very, um, just a great guy. You know, he had this presence about him, right? And um, kind of had that big, he's a big guy and, and he just kind of had that John Wayne, you know, and he had a great smile and just uh, very personable and jovial and uh, always was pleasant to me. And Bill was, uh, you know, a strong, tough competitor. He ended up winning the West Coast Grand National Championship like four times. And, you know, here you are, a guy's got, I think, he, I think totally, I think he'd gone back to Daytona as well. Uh, and, you know, I think with all the river, the races that he ran, like they ran Riverside, they ran Ontario, and then he ran, of course, Sears Point when they went there. And I think he had a total of like 44 uh, cup races. So uh, they, you know, he was able to, you, you know, run a, a quite a few races in the cup series and be very competitive. And I think his best finish was fourth at Riverside in 79. So he was, you know, if you get, and you put things in perspective, 79, that was the year that I went to Ontario Motor Speedway in 79. That was the year that Dale Earnhardt won Rookie of the Year. And Benny Parsons ended up winning that race in 79. So you can tell how long ago that was. And in the infancy of the careers of some of the standouts and the greats in the Cup Series. And here, you know, you got, you know, Bill uh, Schmidt, who finished you know, fourth at Riverside in 79. And uh, yeah, just trying to put things in perspective for you of just how talented these guys were and, you know, their choices as uh, doing it, you know, for fun more so than a living, Uh, but very talented guys. And it was uh, interesting because, you know, Bill had run a lot of other types of race cars. He was doing some open competition racing, which back then the open comp cars, they were, you know, kind of like a, a super late model kind of affair, you know, with big motors and you could put a lot of different things on them, you know, with front valences and things. And they could, you know, you can run a little bit bigger stroker type motors and some. So, you know, the, uh, so some of the guys I think even ran alcohol, I'm not positive, but, you know, it was really a, uh, 
open competition deal. And Bill ran some of that. And he had this old Hornet. It was a, it was, he called it a Hornet. I don't know what the body style was, but it was this, you know, weird looking car. And uh, he struggled with it. And I don't know, he, uh, and here I was, I was trying to get started in racing and didn't have any money and was just, you know, looking for an opportunity and racing and doing what I could do. And I don't know what the reasoning was, but, you know, I think Bill just had enough of that thing and he decided to want to get rid of it. And I, he cut me such a deal. I don't remember what it was or how great it was, but I just remember that it was such a, it was almost like a gift and ended up getting this old car from him and uh, ended up taking it home and going through it and putting a Camaro body on it and, you know, doing things with it and ended up, you know, doing a lot of great racing with that car so I could get more races in because in the Pacific Northwest, you know, you started racing in April because of the weather and then you only got to race till September or October because of the weather. So you really needed to be able to drive some other things. And that's why, you know, I started running an open, uh, like a super modified and then that's the open comp car, just trying to fill gaps and get more experience and uh, try to move my, uh, my, my apprenticeship along. So it was a unique guy that, you know, had done a lot in racing, you know, and, you know, I, I don't know, took a liking to me. Uh, you know, Dave Fuge had ended up working for Bill and I thought was part of the helpful, I think, aid in that because he was working for Bill full time and I was helping me at the same time by the, over the phone trying to help me and I was, you know, getting ready to put my own front clip on and different things. And so, yeah, it was just, you know, in a, a unique time and to have people you know, you create a relationship with people and then, you know, you got an older guy who's taking, taking you under his wing and he's doesn't really have to do anything, but yet he does. And, you know, he's, was very helpful and jovial and, and, uh, you know, I got to, uh, to spend some great racing with him and, uh, got to know them as a family and, uh, as a person, as a person and truly, you know, just have fond memories of Bill Schmidt and, uh, that whole time there. And so unfortunately, you know, we lost, uh, Bill in 2014 and that was the same year that I lost Roy Smith. So, you know, uh, Roy had, uh, you know, kind of gone back to, you know, trying to just make a living and he was doing, uh, in the wintertime was, uh, on a fishing boat. And so he was, you know, offshore fishing on uh, these big boats and he got pitched overboard and was drowned and it was just such a a sad sad day for me to hear that and uh but that was 2014 and then i lost uh we lost bill schmidt 2014 and so you know it was just you know for me it was almost like you know the end of an era of of you know losing people that you had significant relationships with and thought a lot of and really made an impact on your own life and career. And, you know, it was just, uh, I just felt like that, I, you know, it's just a time that I wanted to kind of reflect a little bit about, about those people. And there was many other people on the West coast, you know, that were very proficient and, you know, that, you know, they did a lot of great things. I mean, you know, you look at when I came back East, you know, Chad Little ended up staying out there and driving for George Jefferson and had some, you know, some obviously some uh, went to West Coast Grand National Championship and won some races and then found his way with his own family team uh, to come back east. And 
you know, obviously Chad uh, made it to the top too. I mean, he was running the cup series for Jack Roush and uh, was with John Deere and uh, had a great career and now is, um, you know, involved with NASCAR and does um, a lot of different things uh, with them as well. So, uh, you know, another guy that came from, you know, he was from Spokane and uh, in Eastern Washington. So, you know, I was kind of the first guy to go and he kind of followed in my footsteps and, you know, ran for George and did kind of the things that I did, you know, to kind of find my way and get, you know, some notoriety and win some races. And then if you look at down the road, you know, you had obviously you had Chuck Bound already back here, you know, and he had moved back here and Jim Bound had moved back here and they were running the Bush series and they were trying to make, make their way. And then, you know, you had Greg Biffle later on, you know, Greg Biffle, who was from Portland and, you know, he was running that, um, that, uh, kind of that late model series, you know, and they run that, I think the winter heat races that were really big at that time that Benny Parsons was kind of commentating on and he was winning races and doing really well in the winter heat series. And I think, you know, there was eyes were on him and he got an opportunity, uh, to do a combine, I think, uh, for Roush and, uh, showcase his potential and then you know, ended up getting a truck series ride. And next thing you know, you know, Greg ends up doing great things in the cup series. So, you know, it was just a platform out there on the West Coast that provided a lot of opportunities. And Ken Clapp uh, was instrumental in, you know, being with, you know, R.J. Reynolds and the Winston brand and NASCAR out there. And, you know, Les Richter was uh, a very nice man and was very instrumental in those days when he kind of ran Riverside there, too. And uh, so some very unique people that really helped people find opportunities. And it was. Uh, and there was other guys as well that I really wanted to reflect on maybe more at the, the earlier days and the local levels, right? Even because we talked about the Grand National Series. But, you know, when I started there, you know, there was guys that were winning races and capable of winning races anywhere. And, you know, Ron Eaton was a name uh, that did really well, was a, was a standout race car driver. And guys that I started out in the late model sportsman uh, division that I you know, I obviously idolized and I really, you know, wanted to have opportunities to follow, you know, their paths was Don Dowdy and Harry Jefferson, Jack Jeffrey. Uh, and then there was, you know, some other guys that I had to race against that were very talented drivers. And, you know, they pushed you. I mean, they, same thing. They were, a couple guys were Canadians. Uh, one guy's name was Billy Hitchcock. The other was Al Vanderbilt. And then there was another guy named Chuck Florida there that actually had one of the huge cars there and, uh, you know, kind of started driving late in life, but, you know, really enjoyed it and, uh, you know, was, was very proficient. Uh, but Billy Hitchcock, if I had to, you know, say there was one guy that, you know, he won the Northwest uh, Championship, the late, the late Model Sportsman Championship there in uh, the early years there. I, I want to I wanna believe it was... Uh, 81 and 82, I had just, you know, I had started racing in 80, and in 81, I drove for George Jefferson. We did not have a good year with that old car, that Granada, which just did not handle very well. And I was really kind of like, just kind of really getting my feet, you know, on the ground again. And and Hitchcock, I think he ended up winning, you know, something like five races or something those years, each of those years. And, you know, in 81, then won again in 82. And then 83, uh, and in 82, and we were we were very fast, and that's where we had you know won like the other races. Uh, like I think we we sat on pole like seventeen to 
13 or 17 times and I'd won nine races and I think Billy won the rest of them and pretty much. And it was just he or I, and it was really a unique time. And, but this guy, I had a lot of respect for, and he really could drive a race car and was a nice guy, kind of quiet, stayed to himself, but really, you know, was very dedicated to driving the car. And, uh, they had a crew out of, you know, Victoria, British Columbia, and they came down to run and they were very capable people. And, uh, I always respected them. I didn't really know what happened. Then I had heard that he moved back East here. Um, I want to say in the nineties, something, uh, I forget exactly when it was that I heard he came back, but he came back and, um, I think he ended up, you know, uh, going to Concord and running some of those big 10 races and I ended up winning some races there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this guy, you know, was uh, capable of coming back here and racing some of the great guys, the short track guys here at Concord, right, in some of those big 10 races. And I think he ended up ended up uh, doing some CNC work and, you know, becoming a machinist and doing some things. But I, I don't really know whatever happened to to, to him. But um, I did. I just wanted to make mention, you know, of those guys because, you know, they were they were people that needed to, you know, at least get some recognition for some of the how competitive they were and how great a racers they were, uh, in those early days. And, you know, I had, I remember, you know, I'd cut my teeth there, you know, or, and I'd gone and watched, you know, a lot of races at Spanaway Speedway, which was where I was you know, living. And, uh, Don Hall was a local guy there, Jackie Cooper. And, you know, those guys all were staunch supporters of mine. And my father had sponsored them and build engines for them. And, you know, it was just, I don't know. There was just through the years, I always seemed to have a lot of support from a lot of these people. And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I always would, you know, go home and, and then there would be the opportunities for a lot of people to come into our, you know, Coke Brothers Racing Engines facility and, and talk racing and we would bench race. And, you know, I would, you know, talk about the, the cup series and what was going on. And then we talk about the local level, the local levels and, you know, what engines and people we were doing stuff for. And so there was just this commonality, uh, that I, you know, that I had with the Pacific Northwest and all these people. And, uh, you know, they just, you know, to, to win Daytona in 90, obviously it was a, you know, a wonderful moment in time and a history making event. Anytime you can win an iconic, you know, race like the Daytona 500 or the Indy 500, then, you know, you're in the record books, you're in history. And it, uh, it kind of put Spanaway and the Pacific Northwest on the map. And I think that really was when a lot of other people really, you know, knew that there was talent there and these people, um, you know, deserve respect and, uh, and everybody, you know, they were willing to, to make uh, choices and to look to want to want more and, and want to try to make racing as a living. And, uh, I was, you know, I was proud of that. And I think, you know, it felt like, you know, when you make an impression, you know, just as Roy Smith had made one on me and Jim Robinson and Bill Schmidt, and all the other guys, I mean, I, I can tell you, Ron Eaton had a lot of impression on me, Don Dowdy, you know, Jack Jeffrey, all those guys, you know, Harry Jefferson, George Jefferson, obviously to the greatest degree, and Jackie Johnson, you know, who was my crew chief, and, and Dave Fuge, you know, Dave Fuge was building cars up there, and David helped me really, 
in the infancy of my career teaching me about racing. And you know, he'd been a student and really understood race cars from a geometry standpoint. There with Ron Eaton, and they were they were standouts. So I always had to thank my father for the opportunities for, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we were able to find ways to, you know, keep good people uh, around uh, to, you know, acquire knowledge or get some help or at least, you know, have an opportunity to go out and to go out and, and chance to showcase, you know, your, you know, abilities as a race car driver. And, you know, it was just, yeah, I mean, a unique period of time. I mean, to be able to drive race cars that, you know, would cross-pollinate to other series, you know, a Winston, you know, a NASCAR, like Northwest sportsman type car was sort of capable of going to like a one in Winston West and Winston West could run Winston Cup. So it's just so unique, you know, that this type of racing was in a heavy car, much different than it is now when you got the late models and the limited late models and the super late models, you know, it's a totally different dynamic back then. And that's what I really relished about that period of time. And you just don't get to see that uh, anymore. And, you know, racing has changed and, and rightfully so. I mean, that's just the way the evolution is. I mean, it's the nature of the beast. You're always going to change and, and have progression. But, you know, it really did provide an opportunity uh, for myself and a number of other people to, you know, make a good living. And, you know, another guy that came from out there was Mike Bliss. You know, Mike Bliss, you know, ran, you know, the Silver Crown path and was open wheel and did an outstanding job in the Portland area there. And then, you know, ends up coming back east. And and Mike uh, wins a truck championship with Dave Fuge and runs in the Cup Series um, and makes a, you know, uh, a a nice living back here uh, at the highest level of motorsport as well. So, you know, I. You know, you got to think back at all the people that really did, you know, decide to come back east. And, you know, I I believe that, you know, I probably was, you know, that conduit or that, that's that, I guess that, that person that, you know, kind of ignited the fact that, you know, it could be done and you had to dare to dream. And I think that these guys, you know, kind of took that to heart and, you know, felt like that there was opportunity back there and that, you know, they worked on race cars their whole lives so they can go back there and make a living working on something and then drive. So, um, yeah, I mean, just you can go on and on about those guys. And I haven't even touched on a lot of the guys from, you know, Southern California, guys that, you know, were, you know, really great race car drivers down there. You know, Ron Hornaday Jr. You know, there was guys like Jim Thurkettle, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Insolo. You can you go right on down the line to the, even the open comp guys like, Don Harper and, and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Don Harper, I don't know if you know Rhoda or not, you know, the old sitcom Rhoda, you know, Valerie Harper, that was, uh, his, her, uh, her brother. And, uh, we ended up building motors out of Coke brothers for him. And he ran uh, an open comp car and was a very talented race car driver. And then Jimmy Walker, uh, who was in the West coast hall of fame. I raced against him in the open comp series and just a talented guy and awesome race car driver. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, just, just really enjoyed that whole period of time and uh, meeting all those people and how they shaped my life. And, uh, you know, I really, you know, you owe a, a debt of gratitude for their friendship and for them racing you and, and you getting the opportunity to, you know, to kind of watch and see how people do, because you never stop learning. 
and you always learn something from some from everyone. And I would take little things that you know I, I thought guys did, and uh, you know would try to utilize them and incorporate them into what I was doing, and hopefully that it would you know lead to to enhancing what uh, I was wanting to become. And you know those are the those are the things that I think being receptive to what is out there and and looking at opportunities and trying to create relationships because it really is no matter what you say about relationships. So, you know, I think today and you know in the youth, you know, you're just hopeful that they can find it within themselves to you know continue to develop, you know, create relationships, develop relationships and nurture relationships and you know don't get cocky and really stay receptive to, you know, being the best that you can be and showcasing your talent in a manner that, uh, you know, is done with integrity and, and character. And I think if you can do that, then you're going to go a long way. So, but I appreciate, um, you know, the opportunity to uh, expand on some of my early days in racing and some people that I wanted to highlight uh, because uh, they were special in my life. They, you know, did great things uh, in their own right, and they should be, uh, I think, remembered for some of those things. And I just wanted to chronicleize some things there, um, you know, for them. And uh, with that, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, it was uh, another great opportunity to spend time with you, and I appreciate you continuing to. Uh, you know, follow Race Theory. You can find us at racetheory.club or derekcoke.club, and that'll give you an idea of what we got going on and a lot of exciting things to uh, to come as we uh, move forward. So we'll see you next time on Race Theory. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at derekcoke00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.